and welcome to episode 20 of Owen the Saints. I'm your host, Patrick Serlis. With me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Jack Serlis. Jack, can you believe it? 20 episodes in, we've made it. I can't quite believe it, Pat. We haven't quite outlasted Paul Sturrock's reign in 2004. He was March to late August, but we're nearly there. We're nearly there. We've nearly outlasted Sturrock's Saints reign. Um, <laughs> excited for us to pass that milestone. Um, in the not too dis- distant future. Um, we took a week off last week. Um, not much going on in the Saints world, so we thought, you know what? Let's just get some sun. Um, it's nice to, we, put, nice to put your feet up for a bit, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah. We've been going um, 19 episodes. We had a week off last week. We are back this week um, with our 20th episode, uh, which is a good opportunity to look back on what we've done so far, Jack. Uh, a very successful period for Saints in terms of results. We covered that. We've also interviewed a few players, ex-players, ex-coaches. Um, any standout episodes that we can point people to from our back catalogue and say, you know what, go back and listen to to this episode. Anything anything stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got some great in- interviews in there, haven't we? A couple of personal favourites are when we spoke to Richard Chaplow. I thought he was top, top class and that interview was brilliant. But I'm going to say, I mean, Kitman Forbes was top because he's current and he gave us an insight into the change room at the moment. But I really enjoyed chatting to Jim Lucas, the former former media officer and currently at the FA. I just thought he he shed shed light upon a side of the football club that I just didn't really know too much about. So yeah, I'd, I'd urge anyone, especially if you've got a bit of an interest in media, to mm. uh, to listen to episode five when we chatted to Jim. Yeah, so our first 12 episodes um, was during the lockdown and we were speaking to various different people, likes of Chappers, um, Dean Hammond, Dan Sheldon from The Echo, Jahidi. Um, And then after that, football returned and we covered um, Saints, uh, finished the season, final nine games, tons of great results in there, so really exciting. And now we are back with our first off-season episode and we are chatting to... Uh, I'm very excited about this, actually. Um, Martin Devlin, who is a Real Valladolid journalist and fan, um, came highly recommended uh, to us. We wanted to speak to someone about Mohamed Salasu. Sky Sports are reporting that that deal is done. Sounds like it's over the line. It's just a a formality in terms of Saints announcing the transfer of Salasu from Real Valladolid to Southampton. We wanted to speak to someone who'd watched him play week in, week out uh, and knew what he was about because on social media, there's lots of people that kind of pretend to know, uh, <laughs> pretend that mm. they've heard of Salasu. I, I can say I'd never heard of him before we were linked to him. So we wanted to speak to um, to Martin. He came highly recommended um, to us. And yeah, I think he runs a website on Valladolid as well. Jack, isn't that right? Yeah, he does. He set up a website called Pusella Escofia which is the unofficial Scottish fan club of Real Valladolid. And Pusella is the nickname of the city. Um, And and Escoffia is obviously Scotland. So yeah, really interesting and um, looking forward to speaking to him. Yeah. So without further ado, let's introduce Martin to the podcast uh, and get him on and get his thoughts on Salasu, what Saints can expect um, from from him once he finally makes his long-awaited arrival. Um, his strengths, his weaknesses, um, where he'll fit in alongside either Stevens or Bednarak or whether he will be likely to to start the season on the bench. We cover all that with Martin. So let's introduce him uh, to Owen the Saints now. Delighted to welcome Martin Devlin to the podcast this afternoon. 
Martin, uh, we reached out to, I think, three different La Liga journalists looking to speak to somebody about uh, Mohamed Salasu. And I think all three, or at least two, pointed in your direction as the expert on Real Valladolid. So we are delighted to get you on this afternoon. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Um, it's great to be on and thank you so much for, for asking me. It's been, uh, it's been a real pleasure to be asked to join you today. So for, for our listeners, just to kind of set the scene, um, we were pointed in your direction and I kind of came across your Twitter account and you run um, uh, a website that I won't try and pronounce because my Spanish accent is terrible. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, but could you just give a little bit of a background on, on your affiliation with Valladolid, how that came about? Um, I saw something on your Twitter account saying it's been 10 years this week um, since, the, since, since it started. So if you could just give a little bit of background on that, that'd be fantastic. That's, yeah, you're absolutely correct. So I followed the team for, for 10 years and it came about as pretty much a, a, an accident, to be honest with you. Um, I've always had this uh, affinity for Spain. I've always been really interested in the country and I've always been interested in, in football. And like many people who are interested in Spain and football, I started following Barcelona, um, spent quite a few years following them around Europe. Um, but it wasn't until uh, just after they won the World, uh, Spain won the World Cup in 2010 that Real Valladolid came to the town where I live in the Scottish Highlands called Inverness to play our local side in a, a pre-season friendly. So I went along just out of sheer curiosity and it was really odd. I just kind of fell in love with the team straight away. It was a bit of a drab nil-nil um, pre-season, you know, like a typical pre-season affair. But uh, there was something about the team that just kind of grabbed my attention. So I fed back to team, uh, fans of the team via online forums and that sort of thing that I had come along and, and watched the game. And the response I got was really, really nice. Um, people were saying, well, you know, you should be our new fan. So I kind of went, oh, okay, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, started following them and it's just really kind of grown from there. The, the fans of the team are small in number in relation to some of the other La Liga teams, but they're so passionate and they're so proud of their team and the way that that represents the, the city that they're from. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's grown arms and legs. It's been a bit of a crazy 10 years, to be honest. And I'm really excited to see where, where it goes from here. Um, so to get the chance to come on and speak to you guys about the club and about Mohammed is um, just fantastic. So thank you again for having me. No, it's, uh, it's amazing. And, and on Mohammed, I guess the reason why we want to speak to you, because he's been so strongly linked with Southampton. Um, and I think the latest was, by the time this goes out on Monday, he may have signed, he might not have signed. Um, but Sky Sports are reporting that the deal is done uh, for £10.9 million, I think, which is roughly 11 or €12 million. Euros. Um, so yeah, I mean, we wanted to chat to you a little bit about how he found himself at Valladolid and, and how he's performed. So if we kind of go back to the start, I think you signed him as a kind of 17, 18-year-old defender. Um, back then, was he signed as kind of, was he tipped as, as one that was was for the first team or was it very much kind of under the radar signing that he just kind of came through the B team and then this season he's been he's been in the first team? Uh, very much the latter. There was absolutely no expectation when Mohammed arrived that he was going to develop into the player that he, he has done. So much like I found the team by surprise, I think the team has found him by sheer surprise uh, and it's just worked out really well. He he came over as part of the African Talent Football Academy programme in October 2017 and he was very sort of rough around the edges and I uh, didn't speak any Spanish as far as I'm aware. So he had come a long way from his home country 
to be put into a completely different culture. And he made his debut, I think it was in January of the following year. So not a lot was expected of him. He he more than held his own in the B team, but it wasn't until he got his shot in the first team, which was completely unexpected at the start of the season, um, that he was thrown into the limelight and has just gone from, from strength to strength. Um, I think we should rewind to sort of last summer when... Um, Real Valladolid let one of their premier centre-backs go, uh, a local lad uh, called Fernando Calero, who signed for Espanyol. Now, there was a great deal of anxiety surrounding how were Real Valladolid going to cope uh, defensively with Calero's departure. Um, so there were various uh, solutions had been mooted, um, but none of them involved Mohamed Salasu. He hadn't even featured in pre-season training when the team went to America for a training camp. He hadn't featured any in any of the local friendlies that they played when they returned from the States. But when the team was announced for the opening match of the season back in August uh, against uh, Real Betis, he was not only in the squad, he was uh, part of the starting centre-back pairing with Kiko Olivas, which came as a complete and utter shock to everybody. Um, but he played the game more than competently. In fact, that he just looked like he'd play there his, his whole life. And that is the kind of confidence and sure-footedness that he's displayed in just about every game that he's played since then. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how how he plays? Does he does he like to carry the ball out from the back? Is he a dominating centre back in the air? Does he? I mean, I've been looking at some some stats of his how he's performed this season. And he seems like someone that's always top of the the tackles and the blocks, and his aerial duels are very high. But is that is that the kind of defender he is? Absolutely, yeah. He's he's literally everything that you'd want from a player in that position. He's he's very commanding. I'm sure you've seen photos and video mm. of him. He's he's a big lad. He he's is, well yeah. put together. He's um, very much not the stereotypical uh, Spanish centre back in in that respect. He's more than adequate holding his ground. He he seems very comfortable with the ball at his feet. And he just shows great composure. He's he's almost unflappable. Now, don't get me wrong, he's made a couple of mistakes here and there as he's gone along. You know, he's given away the occasional penalty once or twice. But considering the amount of games that he's played at this level with next to no first-team experience at all, um, it's, it's absolutely incredible. So his style of play, I think, would be suited to the physicality of the, the Premier League. And I think that's going to stand him in good stead because that's not typically the Spanish game but I think that he's he's proven more than adequate to to uh, handle himself you know when the going gets tough and you know the team's having to dig in a bit. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there I guess some, there's some of his strengths but if you had to pick out are there any are there any weaknesses to his game at this point? Occasionally he he's he's tended to be a little bit rash in the box when they, he's had a particularly quick forward playing against him but even those mistakes have been so few and far between. You know, I've been reading people saying, "Well, he's you know he's not the complete player." Of course, he's not. You know, he's 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 twenty one. He's come through the ranks extremely quickly, but for the amount of minutes that he's played this season, the number of mistakes that he has made have been so few that it's really it's it's difficult to wrap your head around the fact that he he he's not older and he's not got more experience. It may, however, be that lack of experience that is the the one drawback, and I would say because he's moved from Ghana to Spain and then from Spain to England, he's a young lad. The culture is going to be very, very different for him. And I, I do hope that he settles quickly and that he's given the chance to, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to establish himself in the team quite quickly, just to keep his confidence up. So Southampton have got two centre-backs at the moment, Jack Stevens and Jan Bednarak, and they've had 
pretty strong partnership this season. And Southampton fans are, you know, very confident that we need to improve that that area of the pitch. It's probably our weakest area, but unsure who to drop. Will Salasu? Do you do you picture Salasu coming in and you know playing a bit of an understudy role at Southampton for a little bit, or do you think he's ready for the Premier League at 21 years old? I think it would probably be best if he did play that understudy role just in the maybe in the short term at the start of the season. Um, he's got to learn the English game. He's got to learn everything that's going on around him. A new team. When he moved up into the first team, he was very familiar with the players around him because there is a lot of crossover between Real Valladolid's B team, which they call the Promesas, and the first team. They all train in the same area. They're, they're, they're actually a very close-knit group. So if he's having to learn the dynamics of the of the squad, of the dressing room, just what's expected of him. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing that he could probably do with uh, a couple of weeks, a couple of months perhaps, just to, mm. just to get the feel for the club and the feel for the style of the game. And then I think... I think he'll be good to go, to be honest with you. So I saw I saw this week just Southampton actually restructured their academy, haven't they? So we've got a B team coming in now, more European style yeah. rather than an under-23. So maybe that'll suit him just to be more aligned with the first team. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, if you consider that he's played against players like Luis Suarez and Leo Messi, he's played against Karim Benzema, you know, these are all elite, elite forwards. And okay, we had a bit of a disaster at the Camp Nou when we lost 5-1 to, to Barcelona, but that was the that was the first game that Mohamed didn't start. And our coach Sergio, who opts for a very, very de- defensive approach most of the time, decided to go from the 4-4-2, which he'd used in every other game up until that point, to some experimental uh, three at the back with two two wing backs bombing forward and and it was just it was so unlike how we play that it wasn't long before he was reaching for Salasu to throw him on to kind of stem the flow and he really did you know he shored up the defence nicely and that's 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 the kind of player that he is so he's playing against elite players he's proven himself to be extremely competent in that in that department so you know the sky's the limit for this guy as far as I'm concerned. I think you just answered it there, but it's, so your formation that you've been playing is he, he's playing in a back two, is he, rather than a three at the back? Is it, is it Salasu and you mentioned, is it Kiko is the, is, has been his partner? Yeah, Kiko Olivas, who actually is getting most people's votes for player of the season because he's 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 kind of flown, it's really strange, he's flown under the radar because of the way that Mohamed Salasu's come in and just been this phenomenal player with no... You know, almost no background to him at all. Um, but Kiko Olivas and he, they played the most minutes out of any centre back pairing um, up until I think it was just when the when the lockdown happened, and obviously there was the the pause in the league as there was with the with the Premier League. He started, I think it was twenty six out of those twenty seven games up until that point. Um, so I think part of the success was that they didn't stray from that back to very often and then after the lockdown when there was a bit more of a squad rotation system going on he, he spent three games on the bench there and he only played two of the, the post-lockdown games and spent the last four games kind of out of the squad with a, a, a mysterious muscle injury but I think that was more because this um, this move was was in the pipeline and, and everybody kind of wanted to protect him as, a, as an asset. So uh, that centre-back pairing was was absolutely key for Real Valladolid this season in staying up because going forward, they don't score many goals at all. They drew an incredible amount of games. Um, they won very few, but 
the, the games that they they lost were only by the odd goal, with the exception of of, of really that that Barcelona game. Mm. So um, it just shows that having that consistent pairing, if he manages to, to partner up with one of your existing centre backs and, and form a long lasting partnership, then I think that would be good for for him as opposed to playing with somebody different next to him each week. Mm. Mm-hmm. Are you um are you surprised that he's well, hopefully, coming to Southampton. I've been obviously following it on on social media and in numerous outlets. And there's Atletico Madrid were linked with him, and Rennes were linked with him in France, who are playing Champions League football next season. So, I mean, I don't mean to belittle Southampton, but we don't can't offer European football. Are Valladolid fans surprised that he's going to a club that you know, aren't aren't playing in Europe? I think I think our fans are just pleased that he's not going to be. Um, lining up against us twice a year in, in La Liga. I think they're quite quite happy that if he is going to go, it's 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 to okay. someone, you know, quite quite far afield that we're we're not going to encounter because he, he will be a big loss. Mm. And there have been names like Arsenal and Manchester United attached to him uh, as well throughout the season. It looked very, very early on in the season that he was not going to be a Real Vidalid player you know, mm-hmm. um, come the start of next season. So nobody's particularly surprised that he's gone. Um, I don't think people are surprised about it being Southampton because I think that maybe going to one of the teams like Arsenal or Manchester United might have been just a shade too much for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a, I think this is a really, really good step for his career, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be great for Southampton. If it, you know, if it works well, it's going to work really well. And I think as a player for who I personally want the best for because of everything that he's done for for my club I think it's a, a great move to him. I mean I, I, the um, the reports are saying 10.9 million pounds and I think in Spain there's am I right in saying that most contracts have release clauses um, players have release clauses in there is there I mean, we've kind of been talking him up and he sounds like a fantastic player from a Valladolid perspective is that a fair price for him or would you have hoped for a little bit more? No I, I think that's really um, quite an acceptable amount for him, considering that this is a player who who has yet to prove himself in the long term. Real Vidalid don't sell a lot of players, and they certainly don't sell them for a lot of money when they do sell them. We're very much a, a loan market team. There's been very, very few players who come in actually for any amount of money. So um, this is, the budget that we have has been... Um, the season that's just passed was was the second lowest in all of La Liga, second only to Mallorca. And prior to that, we had the, the lowest budget of all 20 teams. So it says a lot about what they've been able to do to um, to, to maintain their status as a, as a Premier League team, uh, Premier Liga team, sorry. And I think that this amount of money is just quite appropriate for the, the level of player that Mohamed is. Mm. Is there um, any players in Spain or in England that you could maybe compare his game to I know he's a left footed centre back which are quite hard to come by and quite highly sought after in the modern game but is there anyone that you can see similarities in? I think he's uh, I think if you were to, to, to take your pick of a, of a physical central defender you know somebody like um, a, like a Virgil van Dijk I I'm not saying that he's going to develop into, into a player of that calibre mm. but I've sat in um, I've sat in Victoria Park in Dingwall watching um, Virgil van Dijk playing for, for Celtic against Ross County and at that point I didn't think he's going to go on and do this you know you think he's, he's, he's a good player but it's somebody who I would see him as being quite similar to in, in that respect mm-hmm. but um, 
the thing about him is he's also not afraid to be himself because he he doesn't have this this this, this big background. He's come in and he's he's worked extremely hard, and I was reaping the reward for it. So, yeah, you could draw comparisons with some players, but I also think that he's 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 very much his own his own player. Which is, if he's given the freedom to express himself in that way, then that's going to further develop his game. We could just move on to to Valladolid as a club. Um, just got a couple of questions. Um, one in particular from um, a Saints fan based in Brazil, and I think I didn't know this before doing a little bit of research on Valladolid. But the Brazilian Ronaldo is the owner of the club. Is that right, or is a majority owner, or there's some there's a relationship there? Um, so how did that come about? It seems very very random. Is there a connection <laughs> to the Brazilian Ronaldo and Valladolid, or? Just yeah, what happened there? Um, yeah, it's as it's as random as it gets. Uh, Ronaldo was looking to buy a club, and we'd had a, a president called Carlos Suarez for many years, who was a bit he kind of divided opinion a bit, um, and it became clear that he was looking to offload Vidalid from his um, portfolio of interest, shall we say? And um, Ronaldo just seemed to be conveniently waiting in the wings now he bought the entire club for 30 million euros you know which is mm. kind of like you know the the price of a barcelona left back <laughs> right. you know right foot at, at the moment so he bought the whole club part and parcel and, and became 51 percent uh, majority owner of the club so yeah, ronaldo is obviously one of the biggest names in in football everybody knows who he is he's yet to prove himself as an owner this is probably quite a safe option for him. It's not like he's coming in and taking over a major player. Um, and I think people maybe had sort of unreal expectations when he first took over that he was just going to open his wallet and there was going to be fresh young talent coming in left, right and centre. Now, um, I'm not sure how much you know about where Valladolid's situated, but it's just sort of northwest of, of Madrid. Mm. And there's really good transport links, like the, the high-speed train will get you there in less than an hour. So Ronaldo immediately set up an office in Madrid where he was conducting all his club business from. But people had this impression that it was just going to be a hotline from Madrid to Real Valladolid of, of their up-and-coming B-team players um, coming on loan to develop for a season or two. It hasn't really worked like that. We've had a couple of players who have come in uh, from Real Madrid and they never really got into the team very much. And subsequently, I think two out of the three of them left and only one of them has signed a, a, a permanent deal who just happens to be a centre-back. Um, and I think a lot of that was to do with the fact that they knew that um, Salisu was going to be leaving at, at some point. Um, Ronaldo's yet to do very much tangible um, in terms of having an impact as as you know the man in charge of everything but he was quite clear from the outset that this is going to be a, a long-term project so it's going to be a bit of a slow burner the business model for the next couple of years has just been maintain Premier League status and build on that so it took until the second game second last game uh, last season to confirm their their survival this year we did it a couple of games earlier, so you could say that's a bit of an improvement. So I think the, the money that comes in from the Salisu uh, transfer will be used wisely to, to invest in um, uh, certainly another defender, I would imagine. But the, the big problem about Real Valladolid over the last couple of years has always been goals. Mm-hmm. You might be aware of a player called Jaime Mata, who was the, the top scorer for us in the second division in the year that we were promoted. He moved on to Getafe. 
And since then, goals have just been really, really hard to come by. So I wouldn't be surprised if they mm. used some of that money to, um, uh, to to bring in a striker. But part of Ronaldo's big plan is to create a, a, a sporting village almost around the stadium. They've got good facilities as it is. They've got some AstroTurf pitches. They've got uh, they've redeveloped the, the stand for the, uh, the pitches that the, the B team play in. But I think it's really just a case of he's going to lay, literally lay the foundations of this first and try and attract new players in using this as a bit of a, a bargaining tool. Mm. That's interesting. I've got a... Um particular interest in Spanish football. I, I lived in Madrid for nine months teaching English. So I went to see a few of the teams around there. I was living in the south near uh, Vallecas. So I went to see Vallecano quite a few times. But um, Valladolid, it wasn't really on my radar. And it kind of surprised me to see how close it was from Madrid. When I was just doing research, you can get out there in an hour. And another thing that surprised me was the, um, the size of the club. I mean, I don't mean it any disrespectfully, but it's you've got a 27,000 seat stadium, which looks like it sells out most weeks so I mean I've, I was just looking at your league positions and you've gone down a few times and you got promoted a few times but I think it is quite a attractive club for Ronaldo to buy like a team that's got a solid support and a Premier League team top top division team yeah definitely and it's all about just just building on that he's 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 got I would describe this as being like a mid-range club mm. um you know not not one of the big boys but certainly not uh, not struggling either mm. um so yeah i think if he was to come in and and try and take on a club that was maybe a bit too big and it didn't work out then it would tarnish that reputation but real Valladolid was a bit like a rudderless ship for quite a few years just in the wilderness being a yo-yo team coming up and down the divisions but um hopefully with ronaldo spearheading this it gives some sort of direction to them and any success is going to reflect well on him because there's been absolutely mm. none, <laughs> you know, um, and you know since 1984 that was the last time that they won a a, a trophy and that was the uh, Copa de la Liga which doesn't even exist <laughs> anymore um, and there's just been nothing since then so it's a good club for him to come in and it will look good on his CV if he's able to to bump them up to you know maybe like a top ten even top six at some point over the next couple of years. Mm. Sounds like there's lots of similarities between Valladolid and Southampton. I mean, that's our ambition as well. I think for the next season, certainly top 10 in the Premier League. And we haven't won a trophy, a major trophy since 1976. <laughs> so, um, and we've been better, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, up, up and down, up and down the divisions um, as well. Um, but Martin, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I feel thank like you. I've learned tons about Salasu and as a Southampton fan as well, um, it's incredibly exciting. Hopefully we get the deal over the line. Um, we are recording this before um, any potential announcement and we've got a few days before we publish it. So it may well be the case that it's confirmed over the next couple of days, but he sounds like an excellent player. Um, and sorry for taking him. If that, that, <laughs> that, that happens. Uh, what I would say is as a, as a Southampton fan, we are well used to being on the opposite ends of these kinds of things. And if yeah. he is as good as we hope he is, um, then unfortunately it probably won't be too many more seasons before the likes of Man United and Liverpool do come um, sniffing around St. Mary's again. Um, but no, it's been a, a pleasure speaking to you. Best of luck for the new season. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll um, we'll let you know how Salasu gets on at St Mary's.
Great. Look after him for us, please. He's <laughs> an absolute superstar and um, yeah, wish him wish him all the best. I, th- I think I, I speak on behalf of all of the fans when I say that we genuinely wish him the best and we'll certainly be paying attention to Southampton games this season to see how he's getting on. And um, thanks again for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Martin for joining us. I really enjoyed that conversation, Jack. What a lovely bloke. Brilliant, wasn't he? His knowledge on that club is... Second to none, I think I learned so much about Salisu, what he's going to bring to the club. And just, yeah, can't wait to get him finally holding that Southampton shirt stable with. And now it's Salisu. Yeah, I mean, he sounds <laughs> like a player. Um, mine's really bigging him up there. So that's exciting from, from a Saints perspective. Um, on transfers, expecting uh, some movement this week, I think. There's been lots of chat about the Hoiberg-Walker-Peters deal. Um, what are your hopes for this week, Jack, on that? Um, I'm just hopeful that Hoiberg and Walker-Peters deals just get tied up this week. It's just been, seems like it's dragging on and dragging on. And I think Hoiberg's going to have his medical on Monday um, with Tottenham. And hopefully that just, you know, kickstarts the Walker-Peters deal and we get him through the door. But there's been a lot of chat about the the price of Hoiberg. What do you make of the... uh, Hmm. I think I saw I saw Ornstein from the Athletic David Ornstein say it was 15 million rising to 19 million. Do you think we we're on the good end of the deal or Spurs? Um so yeah, I mean there's been some well obviously initially it was 25 million to Everton and then hmm. the report came out that it was 15 million to Spurs and everyone was kind of like why would we accept 15 million from Spurs? And then it sounded like again that we were kind of um dragging our heels a little bit and we managed to get more out of Spurs. Now, 19 million does sound about right, I think, mm. um, for him. If it's, it's, it's kind of close to the middle ground from what we were looking for and what they were looking to pay. So, Ornstein's sources are usually pretty good um, in North London. So, mm. I, 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 I tend to believe that. I, I think he's worth more. Um, he's one mm. of our better players. And in a normal situation, I think we could have got more for him. I think there's a few factors, one being covid um, two being we were a little bit over a barrel in the sense that he wanted to go to Spurs. Mm. Uh, he didn't want to go to Everton. They, Spurs had a player that we wanted to sign um, mm. and Hoiberg only had one year left on his contract. It's kind of all of those things are stacked in Tottenham's favour in terms of negotiation. And then you add to the fact that they've got Daniel Levy that wants to wring every last pound out of the deal, which is... I mean, it's just good business, really, but you can't blame him for that. But it's a tough negotiation. So to get 19 million, I don't think it's a bad deal for Saints. Um, I think he is worth, I think it's a good deal for Tottenham. I think Mm. he is worth slightly more, but I don't think it's bad for Saints. The good thing for us is that we can get him out of the club, hopefully, well before the season starts. And it's not a saga that drags on and on and on, Mm. and then has a knock-on effect of delaying the Walker-Peters deal. Because if we can just get, 15, rising to 19 million, into the club, sign Walker-Peters for 12 and have that done pretty much a month before the season starts. That's a win in my book. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, yeah, in an ideal situation, we'd get a little bit more than 19, but where we are now, we're getting a brilliant player coming in on Walker-Peters. And I think he's not spoke about enough in this transfer business because Hoiberg didn't play in those last nine games. We barely played and we were absolutely brilliant. Walker-Peters was one of the main reasons why we were very good. So I think Southampton can maybe feel a little bit disappointed to not get a bit more for Hoiberg, but I think we can be delighted to sign a 23-year-old English right-back for £12 million. I think that's great business. 
Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and hopefully we get the Salasu deal over the line. Martin's made that sound like a good bit of business for mm. under 11 million pounds. Um, 21 year old defender, um, our record in terms of defenders, when you look at Vestergaard and Hoyt, um, recently hasn't been great. So, um, fingers crossed that Salasu, um, kind of comes in, settles quickly uh, and performs at a high level. And it sounds like he's got all the attributes to do that. The only other thing to mention, I think, before we finish up is um, potential replacements for Hoiberg and Weston McKennie from Schalke has been mentioned. Um, mm. What's your latest, what's your understanding on the latest there? Well, I saw Adam Blackmore tweet this week that we are not going in for him. We're not pursuing that one, which I think I was slightly disappointed because I was getting a bit excited about the prospect of having... I think a lot of fans were. <laughs> Yeah, so when I saw that tweet, I was a little bit disappointed because he does look like a brilliant player and he looks like a, you know, all his stats points are towards, you know, he would be a brilliant replacement to Hoiberg. But, you know, maybe it's just the, the amount of money would be quite expensive and I think his wages might be quite high. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think reports in Germany were, were heavily linking us to him and it sounds like there's quite a few Premier League clubs involved. So maybe it is just a case of, um, there's a little bit of a bidding war and, and we don't want to go too mm. high. But he does fit the profile again. I think he's 21 as well, um, USA mm. International. Um, the Harrison Reed situation is, is an interesting one as well. Obviously, Fulham got promoted, beating Brentford uh, in the playoff final. Um, talk of an £8 million clause for Reed. That hasn't, thinking about it you kind of expect that to happen pretty soon after the playoff final if, if Reed yeah. wanted to move to Fulham and Fulham wanted to sign him now I think they do want to sign him but maybe he's just taking time to assess the situation and and I'm sure given the opportunity he'd like to return to Saints and be a first team player now I don't think Ralph's going to give him those assurances and if that's what he's looking for maybe he will move on but if he wants to come in and fight for his place there's definitely a role for him in the team I think what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's, you're right in saying that he's taking his time because I think, you know, he's got to assess his options and he has to have the conversation with Southampton. But there are, what, what I've read on Twitter as well is that there is, you know, quite a few other Premier League clubs in for him. Mm. So, you know, it, it might be Fulham, it might be Southampton, but I'm sure there'll be other clubs looking at a, one of the best midfielders in the championship thinking that they, he could do a very good job for them. So I think he's, know well within his rights just to be taken a few weeks just to see what his best best option is yeah great well jack that's episode 20 in the books everybody thank you for listening um don't forget you can follow us on facebook uh instagram twitter where at owt saints pod um if you give us a follow there that'd be fantastic what have you got planned now jack it looks very hot and sweaty over in the UK. I'm hearing rumours of 34 degrees, which sounds like Florida weather to me. I can confirm the rumours. It is. It's not fun here in London at the moment. I'm in a. I'm in a flat which is doesn't have much outdoor space, so it's very hot, very humid. It's it's like that kind of muggy heat as well. That like quite Florida, hazy. It sounds cloudy. like Florida. It sounds like Florida. We've got AC though, and I don't think you do in that flat. By the looks of things. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't, unfortunately. But no, everything's good here. We'll be back next week with episode 21. Until then, Jack, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Pat. It's been a pleasure as always. Speak to you next week. Speak to you next weekend, mate.